Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step -step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. Being an upland hunter in the South nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperice.com. And that's why we take these hunting trips too and uh you know it's again why why are you going out well obviously to harvest game that's what we're here for that's what that's what we're enjoying doing but you're doing it with your dog and you know you can go out and just bushwhack the woods and maybe come across something but we all got dogs and there's a reason why we got dogs we like watching them work we like working with them we like spending time with them the more you do that the more you try it, the better you'll both get, and you know, then you'll start to have some success. Why do we spend all year training dogs? So that we have the best possible hunting partner. At the end of the day, having a well-trained hunting partner doesn't help if you can't figure out where to actually go hunt. Scout and Hunt Maps is the only mapping software on the market focused on upland habitat and shows exactly where and when a timber cut was completed along with specifying what's upland or lowland habitat. In some states, you can even know exactly what type of timber is in an area without stepping foot on the ground. Scout and Hunt Maps was developed by an actual upland hunter and guide that knows the importance of having quality hunting covers pinned on the map before you even hit the road. Scout and Hunt even works for you in the field without phone service, without having to remember to save the area before you even go in. Once you get set up on Scout and Hunt, then you'll be able to spend more time actually hunting rather than trying to figure out where to go hunt. When checking out, be sure to use GDIY10 to save 10% and sign up for Patreon if you want to save even more. Spend less time asking other people where to go hunt and get Scout and Hunt today. Scout today, hunt tomorrow. We get asked all the time what the most important thing to consider is when training and living with a hunting dog, and they're often surprised when they hear us answer with proper nutrition. It's pretty obvious when you think about it, though. It doesn't matter how well the dog is trained if it doesn't have the right fuel. The saying garbage in, garbage out rings true in dog nutrition. Yukonuba's premium performance lineup goes beyond just protein and fat with a number of different formulas designed to fuel your dog's specific activity level while supporting their recovery and optimizing their nutrient delivery. The proof is in the pudding, or lack thereof, when you make the switch to Yukonuba. You'll see immediate results in your dog's energy level and drive. They have a formula for every type of dog from your hardest working dog in the field to your laziest retired dog on the couch. 
Head on over to youcanubasportingdog.com to find the right formula for your hunting partner. Make the switch today and let Yukonuba fuel your dog so you can focus on what you and your dog actually love to do, work. All right, we are joined this week with Josh Flowers. Josh, I'm, I'm glad we finally uh, made it happen this week. I know we've been kind of going around back and forth for a few weeks, but we finally uh, found time to link up and knock this episode out. Absolutely. So uh, real quick, kind of introduce yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we're going to kind of dive into the topic and, and you know cover the stuff that we came here to talk about. Sure. So i am uh, been hunting all my life. Uh, you know, grew up walking the fields with my dad the whole nine there. Um, got my first pointing dog 11 and a half years ago. That's how we were, got involved in Nava. That's how we were introduced. And from there, just the bug bit. And, you know... Just kept working dogs, love watching them, love hunting over them, love working them. And then, uh, you know, from there, became a knob to judge. Been doing that for is my sixth year, I think it is now. And uh, Now, is that six yeah, year so, as a judge or six years since apprenticing? Six year as a judge. Okay. So, yeah, pretty much soon after, you know, <clears throat> we joined Navda, you know, you, you go there. You, I tell everybody, especially the newer people, you see some of these dogs work and you're like, man. I, that'd be cool yeah. i ain't never gonna be able to do that and it's like you know not that it's not it's not easy but it's not that hard if you just keep working at it and it's a lot of obedience you do the little steps and at the end of the day you got hunting dogs that you know you it's it's enjoyable to walk around you can bring them out with any dog you can bring them out with anybody and you know it gives you something to do and if you like working dogs and like hunting you know it's a great filler in between the seasons yeah no, I think that's a that's a big piece right there. Some people ask, well, you know, I, I'm a hunter, so what do I care about testing? Like you just said, it's a filler in between the seasons, and it gives you kind of objectives to hit in between hunting seasons, right? Absolutely, and keeps your dog conditioned, keeps them on their game. And, I mean, yeah, it can get monotonous, and you don't always need to test to enjoy the day. I mean, you know, a lot of times it's uh, – Half the people I go hunt with are my Navda buddies and uh, training buddies. And so, you know, it's just you're hanging out with your buddies all day long and running dogs. What's better than that? <laughs> no, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, speaking of buddies, you know, you, you kind of got recommended to me by Scott, a mutual friend. And he just said, you know, reach out to you and talk to you that you're a world of knowledge. And like you said, you you, you focus on hunting. You do a lot of hunting with your Navda buddies. And uh, that's kind of what we talked about discussing on this episode because one of the most common questions I get from listeners, especially the, the, the new people starting out is I, I got this hunting dog. I've been doing NAVDA, but I, I want to take a trip. How do I plan a trip? Where do I go? Where do I find out, you know, who to go with all this stuff? So I thought it would be a good, good time to get you on and let's kind of talk from a general DIY perspective. Somebody that's just, we're everyday average people that just like to go take trips with friends and dogs. Right. And so the, the, there's a lot of considerations, but talking to you, we've both kind of done that a number of times. And so we've kind of learned uh, by trial by error or and then you know learn, learn by uh, yeah by bad examples of what not to do exactly and so like training dogs exactly you learn not what to do a absolutely and better and your third time's better <laughs> and so you know real quick before before we kind of really jump into that topic i i need everybody to kind of understand what 
what type of hunting you prefer to do? What's your, what's your normal hunting season kind of look like? And also I, I didn't hear you address the type of dogs you hunt with, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so yeah, the, the elephant in the room. No, so, so I've got, I've got Weimariners. Um, yes, they do hunt and yes, they hunt very well. Um, <laughs> now I'll just as a an aside, I'll, I'll, because I know you have had a lot of those, you know, what breed should I get? I'm looking into this and you always see it on the forums and the Facebook groups. And, you know, it's always get a GSP, get a GSP. Get a, I ain't got nothing wrong against or nothing against GSPs except for Scots. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, I tell you what, there's in every breed, the best of the best are equal to all other breeds. I really do believe that. And, there just may not be as many of them in certain breeds or as many breeders like trying to hit that excellence um, or, or have the tools to reach that excellence is what I should say. A lot of them are improving. There's a lot of wine breeders that are really improving um, what they've got. Same with some of the other non-common breeds, if you will. Um, so don't let, you know, a breed dissuade what you want and you know, long story short, we got, we got a wine. We lost, I had a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. Um, we had, we adopted a Husky. She passed after a number of years. And then uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a, a pointing dog this time. And my wife said, how about a Weimariner? Well, it took us a year and a half to find one. And that's only because, you know, I went and hunted over some. I like, I did my homework. We ended up got ours out in Michigan. I'm, I'm from Connecticut. Um, so we flew out there, I flew out there, hunted over them, uh, loved what I saw was I was getting interrogated by the breeder, which to <laughs> me is a great sign yep. because you know what they, if you ever feel like, man, this person's like, you know, give me the business. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to buy a dog here. What the, that's the person you want to talk to more because they're invested in you because you need to be invested in the dog and ergo that kind of gets into, you know, what we're going to be talking about is that was actually my first like real hunting trip was going back out to Michigan with my breeder. Um, and it's, uh, I'll give him a shameless plug, but timber doodle limes and Camille rice. And, uh, but, uh, that's somebody, and I know there are plenty of other breeders out there the same way. If you called them up your breeder and said, Hey, I've got my five and a half mold pup. I want to, you know, go get on some game. Um, I'm sure a lot of them would say, come hunt with me. Um, they'll, they love it. They want to see the dog, especially at that age. So that was our trial by fire trip. And we were, you know, in a, a, a tent, like a, uh, you know, Boy Scout tent in October in the middle of the Atlanta State Forest in Michigan when it was 20 some odd degrees out at night. And, uh, you know, we felt bad for the puppy. So we said, oh, you know what, we'll sleep, you know, let her sleep in the sleeping bag. She was in the tent, in our kennel. And uh, so the first night I slept with her, and it was a horrible night's sleep because, you know, five-month-old puppy. Second night, my wife slept with her. The third night, we were arguing who got to sleep with her because that extra body warmth. <laughs> so that's, you know, talk about learning from mistakes. We've upgraded from that situation. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, that's, you know, kind of getting back on here. That's there's plenty of ways to get involved with, you know, your first hunting trip. And first and foremost, by all means, contact your breeder. Yeah. Um, you're invested in them. They're invested in you. 
they're going to do you right. You're going to get to see their dogs perform even more. And maybe, you know, depending on when you got the pup, maybe you didn't get to see their dogs perform. But you'll at least get a good insight. And you'll know you'll have somebody there that's, you know, wanting to help. So first and foremost, talk to your breeder. Well, and and it kind of goes back to, I know we've talked about it a million times on this podcast. And uh, you hear it on other podcasts. And number one advice is find a breeder that that plays the game you want to play right and that also means like hunts what you want to hunt so it's very common like you said you know most breeders if you call and be like hey i want to go hunt my dog but i don't know i'm brand new to this i don't know where to go i don't know what to do a lot of breeders are just going to say hey come join me for for a walk you know and they're going to help you out get started in that and they're hunting if you fall into that category, if you did your homework, like you said you did on your first one, more than likely you're going to be hunting the target species and how you want to hunt anyway, because you've already kind of addressed that with your breeder in the feeling out stage, like you were talking about. Exactly. And and for us here in, I mean, living in Connecticut, I mean, the only wild birds we have fly over us between the woodcock that stop over for a night or migratory waterfowl who are just, you know, screaming down the coastlines. Um, <laughs> well, your the, state the is only like a thousand field. yards long, right? <laughs> right, right. Or the, the geese in the farmer's fields that you don't have access to. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's tough. It's, it's more than tough. But uh, yeah, what, what, I'll, what I typically hunt um, with my dogs is grouse and woodcock. Um, you know, during the season, Connecticut has, you know, some various programs. They stock pheasant and whatnot. I do belong to a gun club. They stock pheasant. Um, and it, it's what you want to get out of it. So for myself personally, I'll, I'll go like, you know, in the middle of the afternoon to the club and I'll go every weekend. And really it's for the dogs. Um, at least it's more of a scratch hunt rather than not that, you know, they go sleep the birds and it's a can hunt and so be it. But so at least it's, you know, I don't want to walk out there and get my limit in a half an hour. Right. Um, I want my dogs to run. If you get your limit in a half an hour, it's essentially the same thing as a training session during the summer, it, right? It, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and even actually um, one of the clubs I belong to, there's some older gentlemen there. I won't even carry a gun. I'll, I'll guide, so yeah. to speak. And it's, you know what? It, it's for them. I enjoy watching. My dogs love it. What's wrong with that? And yeah. then I'll go back out later and hunt them again. And they think, this is the greatest day in my life. I get to hunt twice, <laughs> you know, and didn't even get yelled at too much. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when we, uh, we have the woodcock flights that come through, we'll go after those, um, you know, and that's hopefully two weeks of fun. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. And then other than that, it's, you know, usually a trip a year for the first, oh, six, seven years, we went to Michigan for a week. Um, up to our breeders and we stayed at various places and uh or like went and camped out or stayed at their house and just ventured out and that that was our hunting season our 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 quote-unquote real hunting season and and let's be honest with that the average person getting into this assuming that they live in a state similar to what me and you do with a state that doesn't have necessarily the the desirable upland species or, or populations that you can hunt, right? Like we have to travel to go find these birds. And so like when you say, uh, the, the real hunting season, you're, you're really implying that this is the one week that I have to go get dog work on a good population of birds. And, you know, not that you're not hunting back home or doing the guiding thing like you're talking about, but you know, realistically that one week 
is going to be your real opportunity. And that I think that the most of the people doing this game nowadays that kind of falls into that camp. Yeah, absolutely. And even some of like, I mean, you know, you, you, you look at them a little funny, these people that, and no offense to them, but that live in like in these great areas. I'll just yes. say, I won't even pick out a state that live in these great areas. And like, ah, the birds are horrible this year. <laughs> you got birds. Yeah. You got birds. That ain't horrible. <laughs> I've got friends up in Minnesota and Wisconsin and they'll, they'll say that the past few years, you know, somebody will be like, oh, the birds are horrible up here. I'm like, Hey, you're more than welcome to come down here and yeah. grouse with me here in Tennessee. I've, you know, I've haven't had anybody take me up on it i don't know if that's a testament of my personality or our friendship or if it's really just the birds really aren't that bad up there and uh you know it, it's it's kind of like you put the blinders on people lose sight that that and, and forget to appreciate the opportunity that they have to where it's like all right you may not be getting five or six flushes per hour but if you're getting two or three per hour you're ki- you're beating the heck out of the opportunity i have down here Exactly. And, and, you know, and it's not to say that even, uh, you know, some, uh, I'm going to call them, I, even if it is a preserve, these preserve fights, it's good for the dogs. I mean, you're working your dog. That's why you have your dog. You're enjoying, if you're enjoying it, good for you. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with game clubs. There's, you know, what's wrong is getting a dog that can do what it can do and sitting at home. Um, that's what's wrong. So get out any which way you can. Um, if it means you have to drive a little bit, it's worth it. Cause you know, the old adage, good birds make good dogs and the best birds are wild birds. And you want to see what your dog can do, put them on wild birds. And, uh, that's, you know, that's what you got to do sometimes. Sometimes you got to travel to do it. A lot of times you have to travel to do it, but there's no reason not to enjoy it. That's why you have your dog. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and get into, the weeds on this, you know, we, you just said that we have one week, one week a season, you know, the people that live in those areas, they, they may not fully appreciate it. They may do a week outside of their normal to just, you know, that's their vacation trip. But, uh, you know, us that live in states that don't have the populations, we, we are dreaming and salivating of that one week, every hunting season to where we get good populations. So with that being said, what are the factors in your world, in your opinion, how do you factor and, and prioritize how to go about deciding which trip you want to do? And, and really, I think it starts with the species, in my opinion. I don't know if you're on the same boat as me. but no, I, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, you know, I'll take this year for as an example. I've got a younger pup. Um, she is nine months old now. Um, so she hasn't even been through a real hunting season um that she knew what with what she knew what she was doing with actual exposure um she's been out on wild birds but you know running around chasing the big dogs that's exposure it's not hunting that's exposure that's not hunting so what's it going to be for her as much woodcock as i can find wherever i can find unfortunately they actually come through connecticut yeah um so it makes it easier i'll already talking with a buddy we're going to go up to uh either northern vermont or new hampshire um i've actually got a lifetime license in new york i'll go over there go up north there but woodcock 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 for the puppy why they hold and they fly um it's i remember the first time my first dog found a woodcock i mean i remember it she didn't she didn't even know what she was doing you can tell 
she was running them. I kind of slowed down. Woodcock popped up. We harvested it. It falls down. She runs over, and she she didn't mark it or anything. She's looking around. One of the older dogs stole the retrieve. No problem. <laughs> so and then we, you know, because all of her nice, steady dogs, you know, that goes out the window. <laughs> it's not um, test day. We're in the woods. Not at all. <laughs> this this is the, uh, you know, break them, you know, phase yep. of the yep. year. Um, but anyway, so then we took it. We tossed it out for her. And, you know, she went up and she points it. And so, you know, there's a little five and a half month old puppy just sitting there staring down a, a woodcock on the ground and, you know, had a, like, her point was so intense, so strong, I had to go pick it up and put it in her mouth. And you could see the light bulb click. Her eyes just got, like, saucers. She started dancing around, and <laughs> she loved it. From that moment on, game on. I mean, she, she was our woods dog. Anybody hunted her, that's my woods dog. Um, she was just phenomenal in the woods. Now you put her out in the grasslands and whatnot. She, she did her job, but that's not where she lived to hunt. Yeah. She was a woods dog. Um, my older one, he, he's a prairie dog. He can run. He ran the, we went up to Manitoba, um, went after a Sharpie snipe, uh, woodcock grouse, all sorts of stuff. And, you know, he can cover some ground. So it was fun with him there where, her, it's an enjoyable hunt, but you, when you get into the thicket, you, you don't want any other dog. She knows what she's doing. So so with that being said, how do you, when you're planning a trip, decide between chasing a species that perhaps you haven't chased already and that you want to go try, or picking a species and, and going on a trip to target that species for the betterment of the dog, if that makes any sense at all? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So when I was... When I was newer to all this, meaning, you know, with newer to pointing dogs, newer to the game, newer to Navda, never really, you know, my my youth hunting was going out with my dad on the state forest of Connecticut where they said they stalked and sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. And, uh, you know, walking around and beating the bush. That's what it was. Um, as, as you learn what a trained dog can do and as you saw what real dog work was. And we had good dogs growing up, but they weren't trained, so to speak. They just hunted. They were meat dogs. Yeah. Um, but then as you saw what these dogs could really do, then it, you know, then it turned into, okay, I need to use them. How am I going to use them? Where am I going to go? And a lot of that factored in to just what we had going on in our life. So we had no kids. It was easy to go we would drive all night, 10 hour drive to 10 to 14 hour drive out to Michigan. We'd take shifts, two hours on, two hours off, sort of sleeping, not whatever, but make a long weekend trip out of it. And it sounds nuts because we were in the car for, you know, a third of the time, but it was worth it. Oh, my wife. My wife. My wife. Yeah. Well, it was pre, it was pre kids. Yeah, pre kids. So it worked out. Now it doesn't work out so well like that anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, and then it was, okay, well, geez, that was a heck of a trip. It was worth it, but man, I'm beat. And so then we would extend it out, um, you know, the year after or whatnot. <clears throat> In between those times, that's where, you know, the buddies came into play. It's like, hey, we're going up to Vermont for a long weekend. Or, hey, we're going to go up for a night even and so a five-hour, six-hour ride to go hunt for a day and then come back the next night, not so bad. Um, again, it's sometimes you do what you got to do. 
uh, other times, a lot of times it'd be like, uh, I, of course, half my good friends that I, or training buddies are retired. So it's easy for them, but they're like, Hey, I'm going out tomorrow morning. Ah, well, yeah, I guess I'm going to blow off work for a few hours. <laughs> and I'll figure this out. Um, fortunately I'm in a spot where I can sort of do that. I sometimes pay for it on the other end, like work into the, you know, wee hours of the morning, but it works out and it, it's really, uh, you know, to go enjoy the limited time we have. Um, to factor in what we're going to go after, <clears throat> dog's age, how long I have to travel, where I'm going to go. So if I if I can get away for a short weekend, well, I'm not going to go find Sharpies. It's just not happening. I'll not spend realistic. the entire day in the car. Um, if, if I'm going to say, let, let's go do a trip. Let me plan one out, and which we have done. Um, we went out to Manitoba. I took two and a half weeks to go do that. And it was, uh, you know, it was some planning. It worked out. Uh, it was some finagling with work and figuring stuff like that out. I remember I was, in fact, trying to find a post office in the middle of uh, Wisconsin uh, to mail out stuff for work that I had to get done. And, um, you know, we spent, you know, two, a two-hour detour to go find a post office that was open on a Saturday. Um, but you do what you got to do. But uh, so that's where, you know, we did a lot of waterfowl hunting. We chased Sharpies. We did snipe. We, you know, had a lot of fun. Um, I've been out to Dakota's pheasant. I've done that before. But the majority of it is, you know, I say I'm a grouse and woodcock hunter because that's within 10 hours. And that's the majority of the trips I'm going to take. Um, would I love to go, you know, do chucker? out in idaho absolutely yeah. scale quail i'll go out to the deserts absolutely will i hopefully someday um and i think I that's yet. important to note right there that it's just like yes we have these dream trips we have these dream species that we would like to get you know you call it notching it off the bucket list whatever you want to call it but you have to be realistic you know if you have one week say you have seven days to go hunt and you spend two days of travel that's four days total, so that only leaves you three days to hunt. If you figure out a location or a species within, like you said, 10 hours and it's one day travel, then that gives you five days to hunt versus seven. And so it's just like it's, it, it, it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go out west and, you know, go chase the valley quail or something that I have zero, you know, they're not even in my side of the country, right? Right. But you're sacrificing days of hunting, let alone, and then also you got to ask yourself after two days of travel, that first day of hunting, are you really going to be in that great of shape? Are your dogs going to be ready to go by the time you get there and they've been cooped up in a kennel for two days of, you know, truck travel? All that kind of goes into be realistic about the species and the target that you're going after. So, you know, if if you need a puppy exposure and learning on birds, woodcock is a very good option for the reasons that you already said. If you need a dog to learn uh, how, how to handle running birds, pheasant's probably a really good bet. Grouse run a lot too. Uh, there, there's a lot of factors that really ultimately, the again, it goes back to what I, I said earlier the, the trip kind of starts with the species, right? Because once you pick your species, then you can start figuring out the location of exactly where you want to go in the, the hotbeds of the species map. Uh, absolutely. And, and even with that, I mean, especially, you know, going back to if you really have limited time, 
there's to, and this is just my opinion. There's nothing wrong with you know what. Get a guide. Put, let let them put you in a in a good area or walk along with them. I, a lot of them will let you run your dog, or if they don't want you to run your dog with their dogs, just say you know what. I'm going to just run my dog, and they'll probably say, well, I can't guarantee anything because I don't know your dog. But you know what? That's okay. At least you're in an area that you probably have a better chance of harvesting something or at least coming across stuff if you really don't even know heads and tails of what kind of cover or thicket you're walking in. I remember the first time, actually, Manitoba. So we go out there, and then uh, <clears throat> we're, with, we're with some friends that live out there, and they said, oh, you know what, this, this field's got, you know, usually has snipe in it. Let's just, you know, let's do a quick trip. And it was kind of on the way back to the cabin. We said, all right. So we're sitting there, a buddy of mine jump out. Now, we, we've never hunted snipe before. And, I mean, the field looked like a golf course. The grass wasn't more than, you know, I'll say six inches. It really looked like three to us, you know, but it looked like a golf course. And there's a small little, you know, hedgerow and thicker stuff all around the edge and down the middle. So we're, we're just walking the hedgerow, figuring, all right, where do birds live? You know, where do they hide out? And... We had no idea. So we get back to the truck, you know, don't fire a shot across the way on the other side of the road. We hear shots galore. <laughs> and uh, we come back and the first thing they go is, why weren't you walking in the field? We're like, what are you talking about? We walked the field. No, you walked the edge. Oh, yeah. Well, all the sniper in the middle of the field. <laughs> well, well, heck, we didn't know that. Yeah. Well, the next day we did much better. <laughs> so... <laughs> So the Manitoba birds act a little different than than Connecticut birds. <laughs> well, they, they're not they're not rough grouse or woodcocks. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, and I mean that's kind of the general rule of thumb. Like no matter what species you go after, you kind of look for those transition points, right? Whether it's cover elevation, uh, dry versus wet, whatever it is, you look for those transition points, and that's also another key factor of when you decide your species. That's when you can start doing some research. And figuring out, hey, I'm going after snipe. Instead of working that tree line, let's go get out in the middle of the field. Yeah, exactly. We went, we went up there to do waterfowl mainly, and then we knew there, you know, a good population of sharpies and and roughies. And uh, and when the woodcock, the woodcock were still there, and you know, snipe was just an added bonus. And I was like, oh, they're still around. Yep. Let's go chase them. And uh, you know, I I'd never seen a snipe in person before. You know, and. We didn't that day either, but the next day we did. So. <laughs> I got you. So, so all right, you know, back, back to we're planning this trip. We picked the first step is pick your species, you know, for realistic goals as well as dog development. Keep your, your keep your realistic development goals for your dog in mind when you're picking the species because every species has different qualities. Once you pick your species, for for sake of, you know, just clarity, let's just keep with the grouse and woodcock because you're not going to say, oh, I want to go after rough grouse and woodcock and then go to New Mexico, right? right. You know, it's a, be, be clear, be obvious. Like, look at it. I want rough grouse and, and woodcock. You're... You can look at the species map. You can see, oh, grouse extends all the way down into Georgia. Can you kill a grouse in Georgia or Tennessee or anything like that? Yes, I, it's possible. But do you really <laughs> want to take take a one-week trip? No. You're going to go to the Great Lakes states. You're going to go up into the northeast. You're going you're gonna to make the most out of that one week. And so you, you have the location. The next thing is like, all right, I know where I'm going. How am I staying there? The lodging. 
right? So you you mentioned tent camping. Let, let's just run down a, a quick list of lodging opportunities here. All right. So yeah, I mean, our again, our first trip, we we were in a you know little pole tent. We put it up and we froze and froze <laughs> and froze. Uh, we had a little Mister Buddy heater, which you know got closer and closer to the sleeping bags, even though you know, <laughs> risk of fire, but it's worth it. Yeah. Um, propped it up on a milk crate. Thought that was probably a good idea. But uh, so yeah, we've done that. Um, of course, you always have hotels, motels, and with those, definitely you know you need to figure it out beforehand, give them a call beforehand, especially with, you know, if you're going to have dogs or whatnot. Yeah. Um, but then you have all the in-betweens there's, I mean, this, this day and age. And I mean, when I started again, it was doing trip trips. It was 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Um, even since then, I mean, the amount of information online, all your Airbnbs, your rental houses, your vacation rental by owners, your, I mean, which we've stayed in all of the above. Um, it's a lot easier to find an accommodation that will work. Yeah. And, you know, you just do do your research, figure out what the best opportunity is, how many people you're going with. Does it make sense to rent a house? Um, do they let dogs in the house? Do you, a lot of times, we'll, I'll call them beforehand or try to and say, hey, yeah, we'll have dogs, um, but here's how we keep them. They'll always be in a kennel, or if you want, they can stay in the truck. You'd be surprised um, how many, especially if you're going Airbnb or VRBO, uh, if you just contact the owners and be like, look, yes, I have dogs, but we're going there to hunt. When they're not in the woods, they're going to be in their kennel, right? They're always going to be leashed. I'll yep. clean up after them. You'll be surprised how many of those cabins and those listings go from not pet friendly too pet friendly if you just contact the owners and just ask and explain to them they're crate trained you know all day at work when i'm at work they're in the crate they don't they don't even free roam my own house so they're not going to do it at your place uh you can get that permission from those cabin owners uh when you don't think it's necessarily an option Uh, absolutely and you know it never it never hurts to ask and of course you know if the old, you know, the old honor adage should be courteous, go knock on the door, you know, hat in hand, be friendly. And uh, the amount of people that are willing to say, you know what? Sure. Why not? You know, they're, they're still out there. Yep. So it, it never hurts to ask. Um, you know, and then, uh, then my favorite option is always, uh, you know, you make connections and find friends <laughs> who live in good places. Yep. Uh, cause then you got, you know, not only a free place to stay, but, you know, you take them out to dinner once and usually the fridge is stocked for you as well. So, (laughs) yep, there you go. And so, you know, like you said, there's a ton of factors. We can spend all day on just how to stay somewhere while you go hunt, right? Like it's, it it should be kind of common sense, but for a newbie traveling with dogs and guns and, and just figuring out the most effective way to, to really efficiently get the most time in the field, as possible, you know, a lot of these people starting out may not know some of the tricks or they may just jump at any opportunity and it may not be perfectly right for them. Like you mentioned, getting a cabin, figuring out how many people are in your group going with you and if you want to split a cabin. Let's talk pros and cons. How do we know the right amount of people to go on a trip versus not going on a trip, right? Like there's... I, <laughs> yeah, there's a, ba- there's a delicate balance. <laughs> there's a delicate uh, balance here yeah. to where some people might take offense to this or not, but you know, it's, it's the truth. So I think we need to touch on it. Yeah, no, there's definitely a delicate balance. And 
and fortunately, I mean, maybe I'm just around some good people. Fortunately, you know, we've had, I've had some good luck aside from, uh, aside from doing a, the trek out to Manitoba, driving all the way out and all the way back myself. Um, <laughs> that, that was a little rough, but, uh, you know, it was what it was, but anyways, yeah, you know, again, depending where you're going, especially if you don't know what you're running into or the land that you're running into. Now, a lot of times, especially as you are playing the second, third, fourth trip, you might actually be doing a lot more research because you realized, uh, I had to do a lot of research when I was out there. And if I'm doing research, I'm out there just hopping out of the truck and walking into what I think looks good or whatnot. And it wasn't that good. I'm just wasting time and I've only got my week. So you might start to do a lot more research, try to figure out where you might want to go, buy various maps and and, and whatnot um, that are available out well, there. Well, this this also goes back to like what what led us here was the number of people going on the trip with yes. you, right? Because so, if you split that up amongst people, if you find like minded people that are willing to share the the labor of map scouting or just scouting in general once you get there, splitting up and sharing information. You know, I, I, a bunch of deer hunters refer to that as like the wolf pack tactics, if you're familiar with deer hunting. Uh, yeah. You know, kind of the whole group kind of comes together to help everybody out. Uh, it's But then you get, you get some people on there that, you know, whether they're learning or they're just, you know, let's face it, you know, we've gone, we've, we've gone on trips with people that maybe not into it for the same reasons you are. So it's very important to be realistic. Don't just jump at every opportunity because that can make or break a trip for you. If you go with the wrong type of group or crowd, if that makes sense. No, I, absolutely. And, and you know, one, one time now, look, if, if you're, if you're new, try to help mm-hmm. and ask, what can I do? Um, and there's nothing wrong with being new. Everybody was, but, there's a difference between just showing up and, you know, eating their food out of the fridge and tagging along versus trying to chip in and doing what you can when you can. Yeah. And, and so that's, you know, and that's how you make long time hunting buddies and friends and get invited back. Yeah. Um, well, it's hard, like, I have, a, I have a really close friend. He always says he, he'll go hunting with anybody at least one time. Right. And what he always right. says, he's like, you can either, work and help out doing everything or you can pay for everything <laughs> right, <laughs> he goes right, yep. one or one or the other if you do neither we're never going on a hunting trip again he was like if you want <laughs> right. to go on a trip and you don't want to split firewood or get a fire going or cook you know cook dinner if we're at camp or wh- whatever that's fine but you better be paying for the food that i cook right if you want to front the bill i'll do the labor but i'm not doing both <laughs> yep absolutely and I, i've i've been on the trips where you know, you, you decide to go to a local watering hole that night to eat, and then everybody throws in, you know, money for the bill, and all of a sudden you're like, well, that's way too much. Now let's get another round. <laughs> and, and that, you know, that's what's enjoyable versus, you know, the ones that uh, I've been on them where, like, oh, we're head back to the hotel, this and that, and here, here's money. And then you look at the bill and you're like, what the heck? Wait a minute here. This, this ain't adding up. And, uh, you know, that's obviously not so fun, but. You know, as far as number of people goes and whatnot, you also have to realize who you're going with and what their experience level is. Or there's been, um, again, going back to Michigan, going out there several years in a row, and we'd invite new people out. And and one year we did a pretty big grouse camp. There's a lot of new people. Nothing wrong with that. But 
you know, they didn't have that vested interest of let me go beat the path. And it was like, well, where should we go? Anywhere that way, head yep. east. Yep. You got acres and acres and acres, thousands of acres. Well, can you take me? No, because I want to run my dog. <laughs> and, you know, so if you've got, I'm going to say 12 people, right, and thousands of acres of land, you think it should be enough. Yep. But you can't walk five people and have 10 dogs down no. in the grouse woods. And, and that I doesn't th- work. I think that's a very good thing. Let's stay on that because there's like four or five different things within that one <laughs> one example you gave, right? In my in my short-lived experience in this world, and like I, I was a little different. When I first started out, I took took trips solo. I went if if I went with anybody, it was with one person because I wanted to learn. I I knew going into it, I, I may sacrifice birds. It may not be a successful trip, but to me, the the way I'm wired is it's like I'm not going to figure it out by always going with somebody else or asking for right. somebody else's plots or points or what's whatever. But in this world, I think a lot of people, when they first get started, it's like they dictate the entire success of the trip on whether they kill birds or not. And obviously we're out there to kill birds. That's why we're hunting. You know, you can call it whatever you want, but we're out there to kill birds with our dogs. And we want opportunities, but you can't just go on your first trip, whether it's a group or with somebody else, and just automatically assume that somebody else is going to share points or locations that may have taken years or in your case, you know, multiple trips one week a year to figure out points and and spots on the map. You can't expect them to just take you in there and, and act like a guide, right? No, exactly. And even with that, I mean, and, you know, again, just sticking to grouse, uh, you know, you get hot spots and one year it's great, one year mm-hmm. it's not. And, you know, a lot of times it's like, all right, let's go walk. And you may, you may go do a half hour walk and not have a flush and you're like, are, are you kidding me? I've been looking to get in this spot all week long. What yep. is going on? So abandon hope and leave and go somewhere else. So, you know, again, if you're newer, have an idea of what you're looking at going into. Um, I know just a few weeks ago, you guys were talking, you had a little round table and you're talking, yeah, you know, all right, you good grouse woods, throw your hat up in the air. <laughs> yeah. if done, right? Yep. So, yeah, I mean, there's a good sign. Um, aspen thickets, things like that. Like, so you can do enough research to find areas to go, and you just try. Yes. Um, I've been on many a trip uh, where solo um, as well. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to run up. How far do I want to drive? And I'll just get up at 3 in the morning. I'll drive four hours, go to this like uh, <clears throat> land in New York State. Um, probably ain't going to come across anything. Maybe I'll come across some woodcock. But it's something different. Let me just try it out and come home with nothing. In fact, actually, one of them, I did see one grouse. It was it flew across my windshield as I was driving out. <laughs> and that was torture. Yeah. But so at least I knew they were there. But uh, <laughs> but, you know, that that happens. And that's part of the learning process. And that's some days, you know, that's even on your best trips. Some days that's going to happen. Um, well, it's, it's one of those things that, that like so many people are afraid to take that week and, and strike out, I guess, for lack of a better term, get zero birds instead of looking at it as an opportunity where it's like, Hey, I spent two, two days hunting this one area. I didn't come across a grouse, 
but then I flush a grouse leaving in my truck, right? Like your example, stop and think like, okay, where did that grouse come from? Why was it there? Right. What was it eating? And then go apply that to the next spot. That's how you learn, right? And so I, I'm, I'm going to get on my soapbox here for a second. Today, in today's day and age with Facebook. I was just going to say that. Oh, man. It's all about the it's all about the trophy and the brag. You it is. It. It, it, it is. Everybody wants that tailgate picture, and, and I get it. You know, it, it, it's exciting. You want to share it. It's just like, yes, me and my dog did it. We finally got this bird that we've been after. But you know, if you're if you're brand new to this, and your first instinct, instead of reading about the bird and looking up, you know, maps or Google Earth or even just picking up the phone and calling somebody to ask, hey, what type of vegetation do you see these birds in? What are they eating? What time of year is it? You know, what what are you looking for? If you're get if your first instinct is to hop on Facebook and go to one of these hunting groups and be like, hey, I'm headed to this area. Anybody got any spots for me? That's not the right way to do it. And I, I know a lot of people might take offense to that. You know, they can say gatekeeper all they want, but like there is a there is an element of truth here. You have people that have worked years and decades sometimes to figure this game out and you're just hopping on and being like, Hey, give me some spots. And then you get mad when they have the audacity to say, Hey, go earn it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then even above and beyond that, um, you know, translate that into the dogs. I mean, now mm -hmm. where I live, you know, <clears throat> do I have grouse dogs? I would say by the definition, no. I have dogs that can hunt grouse. I have dogs that produce grouse. But they don't hunt grouse day in and day out because we just don't have them. Yes. Um, there are dogs. You want a grouse dog, you need to hunt grouse. And you're not going to teach a dog how to hunt grouse. Yep. Now, my, my older gal, Woodcock, Woodcock Queen. Yep. I mean, that's it's, you know, too easy. And uh, But she sees them all the time. She can do a good job in the grouse woods as well but you hear you know these oh my dog pinned grouse this and that why because they know what they're doing and so you got to look at it that way too you may go out there you may hear flush after flush after flush 40 yards ahead maybe once see a wing but you know what your dog is learning something and that's not a bad thing no. it's not good for the table but it's not a bad <laughs> thing for your relationship well and your dog is learning something, but you should be learning something as well. You know, yes. I, I just recorded an episode about about just basic uh, gear with with uh, Charles recently, and we talked. We started talking about the Garmin watches, and to me, the biggest the biggest opportunity with these Garmin watches is not looking at your wrist and seeing which direction your dog's in. It's the fact that you can just very quickly drop a pin on the map when you flush a bird, right? So if you don't right. if you don't stop and really take in the area that you flush a bird out of and kind of mentally snapshot what you're looking at, you can at least just drop the pin and then you can go compare that on the map to other locations, right? Especially again again just going with grouse, especially like you'll be like, "Oh, you know what? There's a little stream right there. Oh, look at that. There's a little two-track gravel road right there." I wonder what's going on and look at the vegetation and then you start, you know what, like you're saying, let me try to find some other areas like that. Any commonality and, and it changes throughout the season. That's what's important to note is the food sources change. And so birds will move. 
they change their diet based on what the availability, right? It should be kind of common sense, but just because you see some birds in September or October come November, December or late season, you're not going to see them there. But like just looking for the trends and commonality, like I know plenty of people down here in the Southeast, they will not waste their time getting out of their truck to go hunt grouse if the elevation that you're at is not above 2,000 feet of elevation. Now, I have flush grouse below 2,000 feet of elevation, but there are so many people and people that have been doing it much longer than me. Every time I get out of that truck under 2,000 foot of elevation, even though I've proven to myself that they're under that elevation, I still feel stupid for going out because I'm like, <laughs> right. the, there's guys that have been doing this for 30 or 40 years. Like surely they know something I don't, but you know, that's a testament to like, yes, learn from the other people, the more experienced people, but get out and just go test that area. You don't know what's out there until you go look, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's it. And then, and that's why we take these hunting trips too. And, uh, you know, it's, again, why, why are you going out? Well, obviously to harvest game, that's what we're here for. That's why that's what we're enjoying doing, but you're doing it with your dog and you know, you can go, well, probably not so much anymore, but you can go out and just bushwhack the woods and maybe come across something, but we all got dogs and there's a reason why we got dogs. We like watching them work. Um, we like working with them. We like spending time with them. So the more you do that, the more you try it, the better you'll both get. And, you know, then you'll start to have some success. Yep. Absolutely. I want to go back to the new person kind of going and joining a group or compiling a group to take the, take a big trip. There's obviously pros and cons to more people equals more dogs, right? And, and so to your example earlier, you want to work your dog, you know, whoever next to you, they want to go work their dog. Nobody takes these trips and brings their dog to say, Oh, my dog's fine. I'll, I'll leave him in the truck the whole trip. Everybody wants to work their own dogs. What would be your best advice for a new person? Very first trip, figuring out the etiquette. We already discussed etiquette amongst ourselves on figuring out like, Hey, go find your own spots. I'll help you out. I'll guide you, but don't expect me to go show you where the birds are. Let's talk about etiquette in terms of dog work and how do you balance that? So I mean, that's, that's a really good point. A really good question. Um, for me, you know, I've, I've been on both ends of this spectrum, very new and like the trip we've done every year and uh, for years and so just go in with a reasonable expectation and ask up front um hey who who's bringing what dogs how many dogs are we gonna have and you know if you're in if you're trying to i'll say it this way if you're trying to invite yourself on a trip you may have to leave your dog at home if you know if it if it's met with some hesitant hesitant i can't even say that word <laughs> hesitancy hesitancy um <laughs> And, and it's not that nobody wants to hunt with your dog. It's that we've got a system going. We're maxed out. We don't have another room crate to put in the truck. And unless you want to drive yourself, realize you may go off on your own yourself. And that's, again, if you have that conversation beforehand and you're understanding, okay, I can go up. But you know what? I might have to go alone some days. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. And, in fact, that's probably a good thing. I mean, as we were just talking, it's a great thing. So kind of figuring out what you're doing beforehand. How many vehicles are you taking? How far is the drive? 
you know, we went out to, when we went out to Manitoba, I mean, that was a trek, especially from Connecticut. Our other friends went from Michigan, much easier for them. But that was a 30-plus-hour drive for me and 22 hours from Michigan. We had two vehicles, and we had four kennels in each vehicle. Um, and we towed a U-Haul with all the gear in it. <clears throat> but So we had eight dogs with us with, for four of us. Um, if you're going with, you know, eight people and everybody has a dog, some people have two, you, you got to know that you have land to put the dogs on. You got to understand, well, we're not all holding hands, walking through the woods together. Maybe have a line of two or three, maybe four, but there's going to be two dogs, maybe three dogs on the ground. Um, if you're in big prairies, okay, you know what? And your dogs are trained. They honor, they, they're not going to go busting in. Well, you have more than that on the ground. So it really depends what you're going after, what your dog's skill level is at. Um, when we started off with the puppies, again, five and a half month old puppy out there, and there are multiple ones. Hey, you know what? Let's go out this afternoon. Bring the puppies. We'll put one big dog down, let the puppies run amok. That's all for exposure. Realize that, you know, yeah, we're hunting. I'm not expecting anything. Anything that happens, gravy. Yep. Anything that happens at all is just gravy. I'm out there having fun and uh, letting the pup have fun. So understand that, too. And there's going to be people that will say, yeah, no, don't want your dog down on the ground right now. You can't fault them for that because they're there with their dog. Don't take offense to that because if anything, ask. Just, I mean, you can be polite about it. Just be like, can I ask you why? Like, I'm brand new to this. Can I ask you, like... What what factors are you considering right now? And the guy that's that took you, he may it's very well within his prerogative to just be like, look, this is a a, a known spot. Like I'm out here to kill a bird. I want to go kill Absolutely. that. You may want to be like all the more reason to let me get my puppy out, get exposure. But you have to understand if he took you to that spot, or if he's taking you along and you're there, kind of under his wing, so to speak. You know, kind of play his game and just kind of keep it filed away. It's 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 a learning experience every time you go out. Absolutely. And then you know, one one thing that's I I really believe this, and I, I fell into it fortunately. Um, that enough people don't do or don't realize how important it is, is your dog needs to learn to chill in their kennel, in the truck. Yep. They just, they need to learn to have an off switch, not have to have a bark collar on the entire time. I get some dogs, you know, need that as a reminder, but if energy wasted in a kennel is energy not used for hunting Yes. and just pure etiquette. For other people around, um, I don't want to hear a yapping dog all day long, you know, especially out in the woods. If I'm walking a, a trail and you can still hear that dog, you know, 50, 100 yards back howling their head off, well, it's not enjoyable. I, I, I want to add on to that because it's like you, you're kind of coming from two different perspectives here. If you don't have enough, I call it just common courtesy to keep your dogs quiet or at least attempt to keep your dogs quiet for the sake of other people's if if that may like go the other way look at it as selfish intent right if your dog's anxious and riled up in that kennel or on a stake whatever you have and it's just barking yapping whining tearing anything up in the kennel that is energy that is just getting wasted for when you do get the dog out to go hunt 
So there, th- there is an element in this that benefits you. It behooves you to work on your dog's anxiety and get it used to calming down and relaxing in the kennel. And I think this was, this is, you know, to kind of go back to an episode that we've done in the past on that is when we had Mark and Martha Ann of Webfoot Kennels on talking about the chain game. That's what it teaches is it teaches dogs to just chill out and you're going to have a better hunting dog because of it. It's not, it's not just expending energy for no freaking reason. Uh, absolutely. And and then, you know, those in the knob of the world, and I'll, I'll go back to that because they're used to having their dog in the kennel in the back of the truck. You know, maybe if you're newer, you don't have a kennel and then you have a tie out and then you see what other people are doing. You're like, oh, or you just have them in the back seat with the window down and then they jump out of the window and go tearing out into the field. <laughs> We've all seen that happen. But then you learn. Um, but, you know, translate that into a drive. Translate that into, you know, needing to stay at a, you stay at a motel or a hotel, can't bring the dog inside. Yep. You don't want to draw attention to that vehicle, that dog barking all night. It's at a friend's house. I've, I've both uh, stayed and uh, when I've judged and had to bring my dogs along somewhere, if I'm staying at somebody's house and they have dogs or whatever, you know what? Mine can sleep in the truck. They are more than fine and more than comfortable than being on the truck um we went camping this past weekend right i can have him out on the chain gang or on a stake and half the time my middle dog he wants to be in his kennel he'll he'll just he'll whine i'll just let him off leash he'll run to the truck jump in his kennel lay down and you got all these other dogs you know walking around barking their heads off stuff like that Uh, again it goes back to common courtesy but also if your dogs understand to chill especially in their home which is their kennel for me then you're going to have a much better experience you're not going to be fretting and worrying you're not going to be sitting there thinking like oh my dog's got to get out he's going nuts he's going nuts no they they'll get their turn they just need to wait and if you're if you're that guy and you've never been in the position to where you're on a hunting trip or lodging in a cabin or anything like that or been just bugged by somebody's dog just constantly yelling in the back of the truck while you're trying to have a conversation. If you've never been that guy, then you are that guy, right? Because yep. the, the people that care, they pick up on it on their dogs just as fast as their other dogs. That's not to say that you you can always be in a position to correct it if need be. You know, sometimes this is like you just, you don't have the e-collar, you're not close by the truck, you hear your dog and you're just, you're just like, oh man, because even the best trained dogs, my dogs are great at this but every now and then something will set one of them off and they'll start barking and you know it it happens to all of them so just be cognizant of it because it's like just because it doesn't bother you doesn't mean that it's not bothering somebody else that spent the same money and resources and time that you did to take the same trip right yeah absolutely and i mean every time we hit a gravel road my my middle child he starts (laughs) you hear the kennel bouncing (laughs) <laughs> and, and and I always say, ah, dang it, I, I should have had the e-collar on him because I'd, I'd, I'd get him right now. And, uh, you know, five minutes later, he stops and he realizes, oh, I guess we're on a gravel road for a while. Um, but, you know, it's it just goes back to, again, for me at least, it goes back to that little bit of courtesy, especially if you're going with another group. And not only that, the wasted energy that your dog will have that anxiety that your dog doesn't need to have and more so safety where again, if you're traveling out somewhere and you're stopping midway at a hotel 
and your dogs are staying in the kennel, I don't want attention drawn my vehicle. Um, well, you got to think what all is in that vehicle when you're taking these trips. Yep. There's a lot of highly valuable stuff and not even just monetary. There's some stuff that you're probably not going to want on the streets <laughs> if, exactly. if it gets yep. broken into and stolen. I mean, you know, there, let's be honest with that. <laughs> and, uh, absolutely. And then, you know, it's, I'll say we all, but I'm sure a lot of people have heard those horror stories about stop one place and walk out and all of a sudden whole cars ransacked and you know it's you know but sometimes you can't prevent things but you can try and i mean even the dogs get stolen all the time you know your stuff may not get stolen but your dog like you you were talking about your middle child you know a lot of us look at these dogs as kids and children and part of the family just by your dog yapping throughout the night because it's not comfortable within its kennel and strange locations or something could literally impact like i mean it can change the course of what you're doing with your dog i mean that you could come out the next morning and that dog is gone and you know all the more reason there's plenty of kennels that have locks and everything but you know i hate to break it to people there are whether you have a gunner dakota anything that locks a People can pick up those kennels and move it. So, yeah, they may not be able to be able to get in that kennel to take the dog out, but they can take the kennel. So all the more reason to keep that in mind, like lock up your truck, lock up your topper, uh, you know, just keep it. There's all kinds of little straps that have locks or combination locks that you can strap down in the back of your truck. Uh, Just be smart about it. You know, you may not be from an area that has a lot of high theft and you don't, you're not used to thinking about it. Uh, right. You know, I, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, so <laughs> I'm used to thinking <laughs> about it. There's plenty of theft from there, but, uh, that's something that just keep in mind. Don't draw attention to yourself. Yeah. See, I have to, I have to go the other way being in Connecticut because like, you know, we, we go park somewhere. Dogs are in the back of the truck. If they're barking, somebody's going to be smashing the windows thinking like, oh. I don't have like, fans on them because they need to rescue my dog you know <laughs> yeah so i gotta go the other way with that it's one um, extreme to the other right there yeah but and, and then going going back to even because you're starting to get to it but even planning out so so you're driving let's say 20 hours you're stopping halfway i'll look at the maps and i'll look at like three or four spots within that i'll say eight and a half to 12 hour range of where might i stop depending on how i'm feeling yep you know, Google Maps. I mean, it's everybody. Everybody's got it on their phone. Look at the parking lot. Look at yes. what's around. Look where that hotel is. Look at, you know, you can you can pre-plan where you're going to stay, and at least put yourself in a better situation. Hey, if I'm in like a quote unquote nicer area, or at least where there's some business around or stuff going on, lighted parking lot. Um, Oh, it looks like I can park right near the entrance. You know, there's a there's enough parking there. I won't have to go park in the, you know, lot B down the road. Yeah. Um, you know, you can you can start to mitigate some of those challenges. So it's not to dissuade people from traveling. Just be smart and do your do your homework beforehand. Figure it out. Plan it out. I mean, when we were all well, I shouldn't say we all, but a lot of us, those that remember atlases when you're a kid, <laughs> you know. You're sitting in the back of your parents' car looking at the atlas, planning your trip. You know, it's no different, except now you got a lot more information right yep. on your phone. Yep. Well, I mean, and that's that's something good to talk about right there. It's not, not necessarily dog-related, but an atlas is a great example. I still have an atlas in my truck because, you know what? Yes. I'm yep. going in a lot of areas that doesn't have cell phone reception. 
And, you know, I, you, it, th there are plenty of map softwares out there that you can access without having phone service. But if you get outside certain areas, maybe it doesn't work. What, uh, technology and these robots suck, right? They always fail when you need them the most. So keep a paper map in the truck. Like, that doesn't mean that you have to, like, to, you don't have to have a, a map that folds out to the size of your truck to figure out where you're going, right? But just have a map. And, I mean, you know, there's other safety stuff. Obviously, you know, we've talked about first aid kits and stuff a million times before. The the battery jumper kit, man. Like, yep. I can't tell you. How, I've never had to use that myself to save my truck and get me out. But I've helped so many people out in the middle of nowhere where they don't have cell phone service and their battery dies because they left their truck light on because they're putting collars on before the sun came up. Right. It's like yep, stuff I, like that. Yeah, I, absolutely. There, there's a lot of little stuff, tire, tire plug kit, extra set of keys, yes. you know, somewhere else there's, you know, all, all the, all the stuff that you kind of take for granted that you don't need until you need it. Yep. You know, that old adage, but, um, but really, you know, especially if it's a longer trip, especially if you're going by yourself, think about it, plan it out. Um, dog food. Yes. I always bring an extra bag of dog food. I just buy one of those little 15-pound, you know, trial – or not the trial sizes, but those little small ones. I throw it – I've got a, uh, you know, a little drawer system and the sides lift up behind the wheel wells. I keep it tucked back there. It's never in the way. But if I need it, it's there. And so I always have an extra, you know – bag of dog food i've been on trips with people to where one guy uh spilt his dog food not that big of a deal he just let his dogs out and they ate off the ground right but like it got me thinking like all right they spilled dog food and then i've had another guy who uh ants got into his dog food really bad one day like we were early season hunting and it ruined his dog food and he didn't have any spares and from now on you know he keeps dog food uh hidden away like you were talking about that's a very easy one to just emergency stash dog food and you know you can get a little crazy on the emergency stash if you start emergency stashing yeah. everything yeah you, you don't need to be a prepper but <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can take a spare everything right but i, I want to touch on come come at this from a perspective of a first time going on a trip what is the most common error or mistake you see a first timer make it could be something that you've done or you've seen done numerous times what would you say is like the most avoidable but yet like it's just extremely common for you to see a first timer make an error on you know i i think um this may be the cheesy way out but i but i do think it's really important is just not setting the right expectation yep you know I, I honestly, I really do believe that of uh, go out there realizing this may be a bust in terms of hunting, but it's not a bust of a trip. And as soon as you can accept defeat, if you will, you may walk all day and have nothing. You may do that for three days in a row. Um, that's okay. It's not fun, but it's okay. And, you know, figure out, like, as you said before, all right, what do these places have in common or what don't they have in common? Where, what should I change up? What should I try? Um, you know, do, do I call a guide for a day? You know, like there's, 
know when to just switch gears. That's probably a better way to put it. Know when to say, this ain't working, or you know what? I'm not enjoying myself. Why am I not enjoying this? And beyond just, you know, going after or harvesting birds left and right. But, um, and what can I do? How can I adjust? Things change. Plans need to change sometimes. Um, you know, I've, I've driven the States and all of a sudden, you know, made the left at Albuquerque and went to a different state. We were going to go to Manitoba three years ago. And I got a call the week before, actually a, a video the week before. All the pastures we hunted, it looked like a lake. They were all flooded. If you wanted to go jump shoot some ducks, all day long. But you can't have a dog running in two feet of water, you know, in 30-degree weather. Not so hot. Um, you probably knew where all the birds were because there's these little islands. They had no place else to go. But, um, you know, so, well, abandoned trip. And, and sometimes if it ain't right and you need to abandon something or switch gears, you just have to do it. It's, you know, not, not to go all, again, like uh, – prepping and whatnot, but sometimes the dog's safety or your safety, that's actually a good one, is, is more important. Biggest mistake, running your dog too much, not giving your dog days off. That is 100% the answer. It's funny. Um, so the two, the two biggest mistakes, I have it written down here like I can show you. It's very, in different words, but two, uh, the very same thing. I had... Most common mistake I see on first-timers trips, it was a tie between you get there and you blow out your dogs. All yep. dogs on the ground at one time, you don't give them breaks, and then you're you're there like a quarter through the trip and you don't have any dog power. And then you're just, you're miserable because it's just like, oh, they're not hunting, they can't. But then also expecting, I had it in terms of expecting training scenarios, Sure. So, you know, kind of expectations. Fortunately, it goes out the window. Yeah, It is. It does. And so, like, it's important to curb your expectations like you were just talking about. Understand this is not the training field. You're not going to be able to walk up. You're not going to be able to use a belly collar and check cord like you would in a training course if that's what you're wanting to do. If you're going to go hunt, go hunt, right? You train all year for hunting season. That doesn't mean that you let the training slack off door, during hunting season. There's a reason why you train that, right? Uh, but don't don't go out there like, oh, I'm going to train today, you know, whoa, on wild birds. It's like, okay, if you want to, do it. But just keep in mind that it's not a training scenario. You don't have control over the birds or the environment. And then to your point – don't put all your dogs on the ground at one time because you're just going to burn them out and you're going to have a horrible trip by the end of it. Yeah. The, the only training, and again, it goes back to the, ad, the best, the best trained dog is the dog that's trained by the birds. Yes. And that, that's the only training that you should get out of it. Should, the wild bird should treat or train your dog, not you. You're just out there riding, riding along, enjoying it. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I do, I've seen people, Oh, my dog's in shape. We've run all year. He can run an hour. He just ran the invitational. He did this. Did Great. But are they running through the thicket for yep. an hour? Yep. No. They're, they're scratched. They're beat to heck. Um, you know, and then that goes into all that first aid stuff. Simple things. Clean out your dog's ears. Like, you know, make sure they don't have sticks lodged in their mouth. There, or You just... Uh, what I like to do, and I've started doing it a lot more, especially... Uh, you know, and hunting thicker, thicker stuff 
is I'll call my dog in. I I can take a break. Yeah. Call my dog in, water, more so check them over. You know, how many times they step on something or have, you know, thorns that end up migrating into their skin. Just give them a once over. Yep. Check their paws. You know, you get a lame paw, a cut or something like that that you don't treat right away. Now you just ruin your week. Um, it could have been avoidable. Not no, not only do I check them at the tailgate, I'll check them in the in the woods when when I can. And it, it's okay to take that five minute break. Make sure they get water. They don't want water. They want to hunt. Yeah, we're finally in the promised land. <laughs> you know, but you got you got to manage them as much. You got to manage them. Um, they're the they're your buddy. They're the reason you're out there. You're they're doing this for you, but you got to do it for them as well. Absolutely. Well, Josh, I. I I, I think all of this was, you know, too easy. It, it, it had to be said in a lot of regards and, and a lot of areas and, and like to go all the way back to what we started off on this. The only trip that's a failure is when you have the dog that wants to do this and can do this and you don't go, you stay at home on the couch. If, if you have the dog, get out. If it's safe, legal and fun, go have at it, but just keep it realistic Curb your expectations. Understand what it's about. If it's a learning curve, it's a learning curve. And at the end of the day, just go. It's a learning curve yeah. for the dog, and it's a learning curve for you. Uh, absolutely. And and don't get don't get dissuaded by all again the social media stuff. It, it's got its pros and cons. More cons lately, but don't <laughs> yeah. get all this. Don't get all dissuaded about all these you know trophies. And I went here and I did this. And I'm how look how great my dog is and this and that. And you're like. I have no clue what they're doing, how to do it. I'm not going to be able to do it. You don't need to. Do what you can do and, and enjoy it. And, and again, if that means if you don't have, you know, the access to the land um, or area or whatnot, again, to me, there's, it's always nice to get out in a wild game, always. But you want to go do a quail hunt down in Georgia and you don't know where to go, you know what? Find a plantation and at least get your dog out and do something because then the next time you go down that way, you're like, okay, I've done this before. How would I do this myself now? Or hire a guide. Same thing. Um, doing that is better than sitting there saying, I would like to do it, but I have no idea where to start. So if you need that little help, take it. People are there for it. And a lot of time, a lot of these people are just as invested in, in the dog world just like us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I don't have anything else to add on that. We can beat a dead horse all night long and talk about this stuff as always. We can but, talk about Scott a little bit. Oh, that's all. That's too easy. That's, that's just a cheap shot right there. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Josh. Uh, you know, thanks for coming on and uh, we'll have to have you back on to talk some great ghosts and Weimaraner uh, facts a little bit more. Right. Sounds fantastic. I enjoyed it. One thing we all love to do with our dogs is hit the road and go on new adventures. In order for that to happen, we have to be able to safely and efficiently travel with our dogs. Dakota 283 is dedicated to building unparalleled pet protection and tailgate lifestyle products for you and your best friends. Their one-piece roto-molded kennels have many options such as the Hero Series for military-grade crates, T1 low-profile kennels that will fit truck beds with tonneau covers, and their most popular G3 Series that's available in any size you'll need. Dakota not only offers many different sizes and styles of kennels, they also offer products and accessories to help with food and water transport, truck bed storage, and even grooming stations. 
have a new puppy and only want to buy one kennel instead of buying multiple ones as they grow, look at the Forever Kennel Insert Divider that gives you the ability to buy a kennel now and adjust the size inside as needed. No matter what you need to get you on your next adventure with your dog, Dakota has it for you. Check them out now at Dakota283.com. Your new 283 lifestyle is just one click and free shipping away. Picture this. You just finished a long day's hunt or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion. You've run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall. You think the day's over. It's not though. Your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt. No hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another Ugly Dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us, dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an ugly dog at your side. Explore responsibly. Harold, how you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good. How about you? Oh, I'm living the dream. I'm up here in South Dakota, man. Out here hunting, chasing birds, you know, d- doing what we, uh, what we always want to do with these dogs and actually chase wild birds. Heck yeah. It's, um, I've kind of done a, I feel like I've been hunting already this year, but it's been not as exciting probably as what you're doing, like actual <laughs> dog work, like letting the dog search in a field and find birds. I've just done a couple wood duck hunts and a couple dove, dove hunts. Dove hunts. Yep. And, uh, well, it's unfortunate you're supposed to come on this trip, but of course that, that pesky little thing called work got in the way. And so, uh, you know, we had to, had to go separate ways for for a week. I hope you're doing all right with that. Yeah, yeah. It's you, <laughs> I tell you, you, you picked a great week to go. It's I mean, I've been gone the last few days working, but then I got back today and it's just rained all day. Yeah, that's and what I'm I hear. At the, looking at the forecast, I'm like, oh, we'll get out in the morning with the dog, go do something, and it's like rain, rain, rain. It's supposed to rain till like Thursday when I leave again, so it's like cool. <laughs> you know what that means though? If we get all that rain, then uh, that's going to fill up the the swamp and the flooded timber at my place. So that, that might translate into uh, some good duck hunting here in a couple months. So what did you think about this week's episode as far as planning your trip with Josh? Um, I, I enjoyed that episode. It's kind of something that I geek out over as in myself, as far as making lists and making sure I've got everything covered, all, all the extra stuff that I need and then, but also not bringing too much extra stuff. So yeah, it's well, like a I, really good episode to listen to getting ready to go into the season to kind of yeah. remind myself. Yeah. And, and, and it's one of those things. It's always a good thing to discuss because as many times as you do these trips, there's, there's always a good lesson or reminder or whatever, especially for the person that's never done a, a big hunting trip. All right. Like we're not talking about an overnight trip or a few hours down the road. Like, you know, 
picture a week. You know, there's a lot that goes into that as far as dog work, gear, uh, you know, just overall enjoyment. And, and there's a lot of little small pieces that every trip you go on, you're going to learn and pick up different tips and tricks, right? Totally. That's what I was going to say is like, I, I've picked up little things from every person I've gone hunting with that I appreciate anyway. Like, <laughs> yep. uh, there's, uh, there's some people I've gone hunting with where it's like, wow, man, you've got all, you, you need to watch me. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but then there's stuff where you're kind of like, okay, I might incorporate that into my thing. Um, and I think that's just kind of what it's about. Um, and what I, what I, what I do for a living is kind of got to make sure your bases are covered. If something breaks then I've got to have a part to replace you gotta get creative thing. well yeah, you gotta you, you gotta know what things you need to carry extra and what things you don't and it's exactly kind of, it's the same thing with hunting and it kind of they go hand in hand really well for me as far as being able to prep um you know things for yeah well, going into stuff and that that's that's very important because like there's there's a priority list on what you take extras of spares because if you take a spare everything then then I mean you can do that, but it's just, it gets really expensive. It gets really cumbersome, and you have a lot of stuff. And you know some people like that. You know they'll they'll chalk it up to always being prepared for something, and there is an element of truth to that. And you do want to be prepared, especially for emergencies. But you know some stuff is not worth taking spares. But what I've kind of come to learn. And take, take for instance, this trip. I'm on a trip right now. I have a full week of hunting ahead of me. And what happens the first time I go to put a collar on Lucy, I find out that her collar will not hold a charge on the Garmin Alpha, right? Oh. I tested it out before we even left. I fully charged it, made sure it was connecting, made sure I didn't need to update my remote, made sure it was connecting to the watch, all that stuff. We get here, turn it on, and a notification came. And and I left it on the charger all evening. And it looks like it at least took a charge. I'm going to turn it on in the morning and see if it, if, if it actually holds. But stuff like that, like I actually planned for it, tested it, we get here, and it's not working. So what do you do in that scenario? You know, for this instance, I have another collar, but it's Rachel's. So, you know, every time I use that, that's going to be a charge that isn't on her collar. I can make do, but what happens if I put two dogs on the ground? This is where knowing your dog is important. You know, I have my training collar as backup here, so I can throw that on her. I have the training collar if need be. Fortunately, we're in South Dakota. It's not like she's going to be out of sight too often. Uh, so, you know, and then I'm, I'm hunting with other guys that have collars as well. So we're going to make do, but like, I'm just throwing that as an example. First day here, something goes wrong and it's something that I even tested and tried to plan for before leaving. Right. Mm-hmm. Totally. And it's, I get that because when I actually, I texted you last week when I was on my wood duck hunt that my collar stopped working out in the field and yep. kind of had a freak out moment. But then I didn't realize, well, I have, a sport dog collar at the house hanging up. I don't really use, and it's it's why I kept it. It's in case it's just a you know, I need it. I need yeah. a collar. But it, it's kind of funny though because I, you're like man, just I just throw that on there and go because I'm sitting here thinking like yeah, the dog knows heel. Like the dog <laughs> knows like we've been working on. You're like it's like this is just proving the point. Like I really didn't even really need the collar. It's like yes. to be honest with you. So it's actually been it's just a peace of mind more than anything. But really, it's. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's what the tracking collar is, is it's peace of mind. It's that insurance policy. We've talked about it on this podcast. Uh, and, and your example is just like, man, 
this is why we train dogs, right? This is why we have the cooperation. And you can go hunt without the tracking collar. You don't have to have it. I mean, how many generations of people before us hunted their dogs without collars? You know, maybe they had a bell or something like that. But at the same time, there, there's other solutions to this issue. Uh, and th that's just one example. You know, it's just, just go, you know, hope for the best, but plan for the worst. But be realistic about it. Let's not take a U-Haul trailer for spares of everything just in case. You know, you you can go a little bit overboard on that. But, uh, you know, it's just a good reminder. You, you can plan until you're blue in the face and stuff can still go, go wrong. And so, it's all right, let's go back to what we talk about every week in some way, shape, or form is foundations, right? Totally. So. So what what did you think? Was there anything that while you're listening to this that you you wanted to add to, or that maybe we didn't touch on or cover that you're like, hey, here here's a really good tip for planning a trip uh, for maybe the new beginner out there. Mm, I mean, I maybe, but that that's like a whole other episode in itself to kind of be like, well, I would do this, you know. You get, I mean, there's a you get one you get one tip right now. What is it? <laughs> and don't say man. little Debbie snacks. <laughs> I was going to say stack coat. Foo. <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, I don't know if you, I, you guys talked about dog first aid, but that's something that I'm lacking in. That's something I kind of came to mind. I need to build. I kind of mentioned to you the other day yep. that I'm, I need to, I need like a good car kit and then one that I can kind of put in my, like my vest. It's not insane, you know? Yeah. Well, so. let's, let's touch on that. So Jacob, uh, my buddy Jacob joined me on this trip and I told him before, you know, you go on trips with buddies and partners and what happens when they show up and get in the truck? They're taking a lot of the same stuff that you are, right? So to save mm -hmm. on truck space and less headache, kind of talk to the guy that's going with you or, or the group that's going with you. And it's like, Hey, if everybody has the right first aid kit, not everybody has to take the the good, big, and cumbersome first aid kit that goes in the truck or the cabin, right? And that's one thing me and Jacob coordinated on the first aid kit. It's just like, hey, you have one, I have one, what's in it? And then we're able to to push it down to one. And, and it's stuff like that. Again, one example, you can do it on everything else from food to shotguns. It's like, Hey, I, I talked to Jacob. Are you bringing a spare shotgun? And he goes, yes. I'm like, okay, well, I don't need to bring a spare shotgun because what are the odds of both of our shotguns breaking? Right. You know, it's, can it happen? Sure. But every time you start taking everything just because it can possibly happen, you know, it, there's only a, so much amount of space in this truck and you don't want to be climbing in and out of the truck, moving 30 items just to get your dog out of the kennel. Every time you go hunt, it's going to take away from the enjoyment of the trip. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's certainly when I've done you know, like camping trips, even here in the, our own state with friends, it's like, yes, we all three have cooktops. Do we all three need <laughs> to bring them? No. Like yeah. you bring the fuel, I'll bring the cooktop. Like, yeah. You know, things like that. It's totally, you know, it's like, yeah, we all have the outdoor store in our house and you're like, yep. you're, you're like proud to go flaunt it, you know, because <laughs> you pop your trunk and like, oh, wow, look at all that stuff you got yeah. in here. Like, yeah, I'm set up. But at the same time, it's, 
Yeah. Yeah. And, don't, and, don't bring all that extra stuff. Bring extra underwear in case you get the runs. Bring <laughs> an extra pair socks. of pants in case you rip your pants or something. You know, yeah, like some socks. And you know, socks, yeah. you don't even have to bring an extra pair of pants if you rip your pants. Bring a sewing kit or something. You know, yeah, get creative. I'd like to see you sew. <laughs> I can. It's not going to be pretty. You know, nobody's about to buy something I sewed. But yeah, I mean, I, I've sewed up, I've sewed up some rips and tears. Uh, you know, I've done it with fishing line that I had in the truck before. But uh, just to get you, just get you through the week. But it's one of those like somebody's listening to this. I guarantee you they're rolling their eyes. They're like, well, no crap. Like I, I get this. Uh, that's basic. Think back on your first big hunting trip. You didn't know what you're getting into. Like I'm talking about you. Just just got your dog maybe it's a year old you're going hunting you have no idea what you're getting into what lessons you learned and maybe pass that knowledge on to somebody else that's just starting right and you know that there's every trip I go on there's other experienced people that do these trips I'm learning different things from them every time I go on a trip with somebody so just again like everything else whether it's training your dog or whatever pay attention to other people, learn what you want to do and learn what you don't want to do and, and, you know, go out and have fun. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I know, uh, I'm here in South Dakota. I'm about to go eat some dinner, drink some more beer and everything. Uh, is there anything else that, that you wanted to touch on, uh, as far as the topic and the episode is concerned? Uh, I don't think so. I think I'm, I think I pretty well covers it for me. Okay. Hope everybody well, enjoyed it as much as I did. Yep, it, it's a good one. And uh, the uh, what about what about review of the week, man? You got that ready to roll, bro? You know I don't. <laughs> well, pull it up, man. Get it, get it going. Uh, <laughs> while, while you're getting that going, I'm gonna go ahead and congratulate everybody. The Invitational just finished. Uh, at, at the time we're recording this outro, it finished yesterday and uh, had a lot of people pass. It was a, a it was a huge test. I mean the 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 Hawkeye chapter up in Iowa, man they 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 had a lot of work and, and it required a lot of volunteers and and help and just people that cared, man. Like it was a huge test. I was only there at the tail end. I was only there for one day, like one night, one day just to help out slightly. Like, I mean, what I did, I wouldn't even say I helped out, but it's just, just talking to everybody and getting the stories and the lay of the land throughout the week. It was, it was a huge test. You could tell by the end of it, a lot of people were, were kind of maybe mentally and physically fried. Uh, but you know, it's, you, you got to recognize the devotion and time spent on this. And so, you know, it's, if, if you know anybody that really played a part in that invitational, thank them, uh, again, but congratulations to everybody that passed and everybody that didn't, you know, just, just remember what you went there for. And it was an accomplishment to get there. Uh, maybe you didn't, you didn't get to the level that you wanted, but it, it's still a huge accomplishment. And remember what we do all this for, you know, we, we get into this to train the versatile hunting dog. So now that invitational is over. I know some people are still utility testing, go knock that out, but take your dog hunting, man. That's what, that's what we got into this for take your dog hunting, get them on wild birds and have fun. And the test and training is always going to be there next spring. Yep. I agree. I can't, I'm, I'm actually, I mean, I'm looking forward to the hunting season for sure, but I'm, I'm looking forward to doing some more training next year. Like it, it doesn't really feel like training's over for me right now. It's just, yeah. which is weird. Like 
when you get this dog, you're you're thinking hunting, 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 and then all of a sudden you're training, 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 <laughs> gets to the hunting season, and I'm still kind of like not really ready to transition to hunting quite well, yet. Well, I, I will say, thinking back on my first year, I was kind of in the same boat. Is it's like it's the work is never ending. I gotta get this. I gotta get that. Uh, the more you do this, you you learn. It's like there's a switch, right? You know, once once that fall test hits, or just training season in general ends, and it's on to hunting, it's just like a a, a light switch goes off in me, man. It's just like, okay, obviously I don't want to let my training fall off to what we've prepared for. Still do your yard work during the week uh, if you're a weekend warrior. But the main thing for me this time of year is hunting. And, you know, by the end of February, my mind just switches back on immediately and goes back into training because you do have a lot of work to get to, especially if you're planning on testing, but you know, it's one of those testing is great. It's, there's a reason why we do it. There's a reason why we love it, but just don't forget the, uh, the important part of why we do it. And, and that is to train hunting dogs. And so you trained and worked all year, go hunt, go do what you actually trained for and go have fun. Go shoot birds over your dog, uh, go track a deer, go sit in the blind, whatever the heck it is that you do with your dog, just go do it. And, you know, worry about improving off the training later. And just, you know, remember there's a reason why you did it all year long. Yeah. I, um, I, I think for me, the reason it kind of feels that way too because my hunting hasn't been real exciting. It's just kind of been the hunting feels like training. So it feels like training that I didn't pay for the birds. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you just been doing the dove and early teal. You'll, you'll feel it as soon as, you know, you get on, get on some grouse or woodcock or some heavy, uh, heavy pheasant hunting up in Iowa or something like that. You'll, you'll get there, but yeah, it's, uh, today we got here and it was mid nineties, you know, it got up to like 94, mm. 93 degrees. It was a hot day. So it felt weird driving all the way up up here and we got to do very little hunting in the morning and it was so hard i was telling jacob it's so hard it's daylight we drove all the way out here i want to go put the dogs down and go hunt but i'm like tomorrow if you're looking at the forecast it's like the highest i think it was like 58 maybe 60 degrees something like that i think is what uh jacob was telling me and it's like why would i go burn my dog out today when it's hot as blazes outside and sacrifice their capability tomorrow morning when it's Mm. it's prime condition so it it was difficult uh but we we made the best out of it drove around did some scouting whatever uh but we're we're gonna be after it tomorrow man and it's like i'm i I can't wait this is what i drove out here for it's like it's it's time to go put the boots on and 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 go walk put the miles on it's time to go speaking of which time to go hit us with the review and let's get going okay (laughs) This, this one's back from May, Jackwagon45, Ginger Bowhunter. I'm thinking this might be our good buddy over at the Southern Outdoorsman. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Who's finally getting his dog, by the way. Congratulations. He's, he commented, the future is bright for the GDIY podcast. Keep on trucking and producing the best content. There we go. Well, if that is uh, Jacob Myers of the Southern Outdoorsman, appreciate that, buddy. And can't wait to see his uh, new dog. He's getting getting a dog uh, from Scott's litter on the ground over at Rusty Gun's Kennel. So I know he's pumped and ready to rock and roll. So, uh, you know, those Southern Outdoorsmen, man, they're going to be hanging up those deer rifles and uh, be hooked <laughs> on the dogs and birds like we are, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I keep warning them. I don't, I don't think they believe me, but uh, you know as well as I do, that's what's going to happen. You well, I mean, you you're usually pretty good about prefacing that when you're like 
convincing somebody to buy a dog, you're like, buy a dog, buy a dog. However, it will ruin your regular hunting, but also buy a dog. <laughs> yeah, go that's have Nick's, fun. Like, that's Nick's <laughs> spiel, so get ready. <laughs> yep. Well, I appreciate that. If that's if it is Jacob, Jacob, you don't get a sticker. Uh, you know, we, <laughs> we, we expect that from friends. But, uh, guys, uh, Harold, if you don't have anything, you know, I, I appreciate it. We'll, uh, I think we have a profile coming out later this week. Hope everybody enjoys that. But, uh, yeah, man, unless you have anything else, I guess we'll talk next week. Yeah, sounds good. All right, man. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.